You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday night. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How is everybody doing? My guest tonight uh, is Chris Sly from American Idol Season 6. Way back in 2007, he has been uh, up to quite a bit since then. We're going to get into as much of it as possible. Chris, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Um, where are you joining us from today? I am in uh, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, where I live. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Uh, so um, I'm going to jump right into the interview. I uh, ask the same question, start off the interview with uh, the same question every time. That question is, where were you born? Uh, I was born uh, right where I am right now, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, a place called Madison, Tennessee. Oh, really? Oh, so it's a kind of a full circle thing, because I know you moved around quite a bit, so you ended up right back where you started, eh? Yes, sir. Um, so uh, could you talk about your childhood? I know your parents were Baptist missionaries for the military, um, and you moved around quite a bit, and you spent uh, a, a lot of time in Germany, too. So uh, could you talk about that a bit? Yeah, I, li- I lived in Germany for 10 years. My parents were missionaries there, so I... Um, I lived overseas. We worked with the U.S. military, so I kind of grew up. My dad wasn't in the military, but I kind of grew up a military brat because um, I lived. I went to school with all the military kids. I, um, you know, I did everything with the with the military and uh, played sports and did that whole thing, um, just as if my dad was in the military, even though he wasn't. So that was a cool upbringing, I think. Right, and uh, what kind of a student were you in in uh, grade school? Oh, in grade school, I was a great student. Um, and then uh, middle school and high school, I discovered sports and girls, and so I uh, I was less of a good student. But I mean, I like I graduated with you know I did all the honors courses and all that kind of stuff. And so I think my GPA when I graduated was like four point seven or something. So. Oh, it wasn't like I wasn't valedictorian, but you know I was I, I did okay. Yeah. Uh, what sports did you play? I played basketball and uh, baseball through all of high school, and then my senior year, um, I played soccer for the first time, and actually was almost state in soccer, so that was fun. Huh. And uh, and it's your uh, your dad Chuck uh, is an ex- accomplished guitarist. So it's is and you're the the oldest of his three sons. Um, and uh, he so is, could you talk a bit about when you first got into music? I assume if if your dad was a guitar player, it was pretty pretty early on. Yeah, uh, not actually not really. My dad played guitar and he was pretty good, but I wasn't allowed to listen to any sort of like pop or rock music. So. Um, like when I was in sixth grade, my parents made me take piano lessons and I hated literally every second of it. And, um, cause you know, like I wanted to play, you know, at that point, this was, you know, what, 1991 or 92 or something. And, you know, I wanted to play, um, you know, Beauty and the Beast music or Aladdin or whatever Disney movie, you know, was out at the time. And that music was considered, you know, not good because it was pop music and, so, you know, they wanted me to play Bach and Beethoven and all this kind of stuff. And I just was like, ah, this isn't, this is not my thing. Um, and so I really, I mean, I really focused on sports uh, and, um, 
and school, like really sports was my life all through high school and even the beginning of college. It was really my freshman year that I got into music. Um, and, uh, yeah, it really was my freshman year. I mean, I, I had a basketball coach my freshman year. I'd gone to college to play basketball and my plan was to, um, eventually try to, uh, play pro basketball. I don't know that I was ever good enough to make the NBA, but that was kind of the dream. Certainly I wanted to play some sort of like pro ball, whether it was Europe or something like that. You know, I think China kind of a developing market in basketball at the time. And so, um, my plan when I went to college was I was going to play ball all through college and then try to, you know, become a, uh, some kind of pro. And then after my pro career, I was going to go to law school and my freshman year, I had a basketball coach that, that was the worst human being I think I've ever met. And, um, and it really changed the course of my life because I was like, you know, forget this, man. Like if this is what, a, you know, a quote unquote real coach is, man, I don't want anything to do with this. And, uh, and so I ended up my freshman year because of this coach and sat out like the, about half of my freshman season. And, um, and during that time I discovered music and there was this guy that had a singing group on campus and he invited me to try out and I made it. And, and that kind of ended up being the kind of the course of my life that, um, you know, because this basketball coach, you know, uh, was such a jerk. You know, it, it helped me discover music. So I changed my major to music the next year, changed schools to a school that had a conservatory level um, uh, music program. And uh, and the rest is kind of history, you know. Right. Well, that, that's really interesting. I, the, the coach, he didn't throw a chair at you or anything, did he? he did he go like Bobby Knight <laughs> on you? <laughs> no. It was, it, it was literally like, you know, like I – basically in high school, I was a good enough player that my coaches were basically like, give Chris the ball and he will make something happen. And so there really wasn't plays. There really wasn't like any of that stuff. So when I got to college, like I came into college thinking, you know, it was a division two school. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't nothing. Um, and I expected like, Hey, I'm going to finally learn how to play real plays and really learn how to play team ball rather than like what it was in high school. And it just wasn't like our coach was basically like he made us run all the time. Like literally I, um, you know, I was in the best shape of my life, but uh, I literally got injured because this coach, you know, basically ran us into the ground. And, uh, and so, yeah, it just, he didn't throw a chair at me, but he just made life miserable and we really didn't play any basketball. And then we sucked on top of it. Like we were just, we were just not a good team. Like we should have been running plays, not running up and down bleachers, you know? Well, that's the game right there. If the guy, if the coach is going to run you in, into the ground, then the team at least, you know, if, if should be winning, you know, that that pretty much, yeah, that's that's pretty damning to the coach <laughs> yeah. right there. That says it all. You would think, you would think, yeah. Um, and that was at Pensacola, right? Pensacola Christian College is where that all was, that happened. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so you transferred to Bob Jones, uh, majoring in music. And uh, well, but before yeah. we get to that, to, though, because you said you'd already been singing, um, I'm just wondering. There are two things. One because you weren't allowed to really listen to pop music growing up, what was the pop song that made you go like, I want to make music like this. And, uh, and then what the other question is, when did you realize you could sing? Like, when were you like, Hey, I, you're, I don't know if you're on your own or with somebody else. And you were like, Oh my God, I can do this. 
Well, back then, it was, you know, especially in the culture that I grew up in, it just that really wasn't what it was about. For me, it was, <clears throat> we, you know, I, I was, the singing group that I was in, it was all about, like, you kind of saying your harmonies. So I learned harmony before I learned, like, I knew that I had an ear. You know, I don't, I don't think that I was cognizant of it because I didn't understand anything about music. But now looking back, I obviously had an ear for harmony and I could pick stuff up really fast. Um, and so, uh, you know, in, in that group, I was the low baritone. And so I, I thought I thought I was a bass who, you know, happened to be able to sing some higher notes. And, uh, and so I just picked up the baritone. I could pick up inner harmonies easily. And, um, and so I really, when I went to college, like literally the only reason why I was a voice major was because I, um, was because I, like, I went in and it's a conservatory level school. I've just transferred in. I come in, I'm like, I want to be a music major. And they're like, well, do you, have you taken, you know, piano lessons or uh, do you play an instrument? I'm like, no. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I really want to write songs. Um, I really, I really like writing songs. And they're like, well, uh, we don't have a composition degree, so you have to do something. Do you sing? And I was like, ah, I think I can sing good enough. And they're like, yeah, like to do this, you have to be a really good singer. Have you ever taken a voice lesson? I'm like, well, no, I've never taken a voice lesson. Like, and they're like, well, it's really hard. And they walk you through like the fact that, you know, if you don't pass your sophomore platform with 50% of the music faculty passing you, then you fail out of your degree, you have to change your major. If you get for your junior recital, if you don't get 75% of music faculty to pass you, so on and so forth. And so it is really, really difficult. And for someone that had never had a voice, lesson, but because I was this overconfident, you know, really I was an athlete that just took the same sort of overconfidence, um, you know, and bravado that I used on the basketball court. And I was just like, no, I'll be okay. I'm going to do this. And I had no idea what I was getting into. I was an awful, awful singer. And, um, and I just had a voice coach, a, vo- uh, a voice uh, teacher that basically I breathed completely incorrectly. They helped me figure out how to breathe right. They helped me figure out how to sing. They figured out that I was not a bass after all, that I was actually a high tenor. Um, and so they, they kind of, uh, it really, I mean, again, it was kind of this, you know, revolution because it was kind of in that time that I discovered that I was a pretty good singer, but Still to this day, there is this piece of my me in the back of my head where I kind of see myself more as a songwriter and kind of always have than I do as a singer. Singing was literally just the way for me to have my songs be heard. Um, but as far as like a like pop music that really kind of made me go like, oh, I want to I want to do that. For me, it was stuff like Brian Adams and the Beatles and. Um, like probably mid nineties sort of pop rock, you know, the Ben folds and Hootie and the Blowfish and um like especially Counting Crows. Counting Crows is one of my favorite bands for a really oh, long hell time. Yeah, man. That was kind of the music that really like I got really, really into and I think um it definitely shaped my songwriting in the early days and sort of my production sensibilities and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Um that's that's awesome. I love Conning Crows too, man. There, you should do. I would love to hear you do a Conning Crows song. That that would be. Uh, I, I would I would pay to listen to that. <laughs> um, what's I got to ask? What's your favorite album of them? Just not to get off too, too uh, far off track. I think we're covering but. the satellites is my favorite. Yep. Um, I mean, I love I love the first four, especially. 
like August and everything after recovering the satellites, this desert life and, um, and hard candy. I would say like, um, recovering the satellites to me is just like this massive seventies rock record that I just, I mean, especially like when I first discovered it in the early two thousands, like, I mean, I was just that, that record gobsmacked me. Like the guitar work on that record is just unbelievable. And I think the songwriting is incredible. Um, yeah, and honestly, everything after obviously is a lot of people's favorite, but, um, for me, it was definitely recovering the satellites and then probably hard candy. I really loved hard candy, even though it was more pop than their other stuff. Yeah, no, children in bloom is my favorite song by them. The guitar and bass in that is just, is just absolutely beautiful. Um, but yeah, uh, dude, for sure. So anyway, uh, so you're, you're at Bob Jones university. you you, you just jumped into this, this singing thing, into this music uh, degree. Um, and it went well and for classical you. classical music. And classical music too, yeah. So you uh, after yeah. after fighting it and fighting the piano lessons and everything, you still ended up, uh, you know that that's what uh, that's what you were guided towards there. Um, it, and uh, it went well for you. It says you you uh, you were invited to audition for Juilliard and the Metropolitan Opera in New York. So they must have the singing, the vocal coaches must have paid off. I mean, clearly we can see that now. Yeah, right? I mean conservatory it was really weird like i really was not a very good singer man like i i um that's so weird to hear that's so, couple, i just wouldn't have guessed that that's so interesting yeah my first couple of years i mean my my voice teacher tried to talk me into changing my major probably a hundred times in the first two years um and i just was bullheaded about it and i really was falling in love with theory and falling in love with music in general and understanding um it just it was one of those things where like it's so cliche but you hear people talk about like they find their thing and everything just makes sense and that's kind of how it was with music like and and honestly it really is a little bit like basketball like i I play point guard and, and you know so much about point guard is about the angles and the numbers and it's really a lot of math like that's the way i always thought of it like you know, I worked on finding the right angles and you do the math right and you can hit that pass or you can hit the, you know, three-pointer. You memorize where you are on the floor. And I think music felt a lot the same. Like, it felt very familiar, even though I'd never, you know, I didn't understand anything about theory. It just all kind of made sense. It was like, oh, you know, like these numbers and it's, and really music is just math and it's patterns that, we that once you understand how the patterns kind of work um then it starts to make sense and the way that you become a better musician you know and not everybody uh synthesizes it in the same way but the way that i was able to make sense of it was once i have enough of these patterns in my brain then i can figure out how to uh, manipulate the patterns to do something that i want to do you know and uh, and so that was kind of how I made sense of this you know music theory thing, but I was not a good singer. I was becoming a good musician um, just because I understood theory and I was learning stuff and composition. And uh, and in between my sophomore and junior year, um, I passed my sophomore platform barely. You know, you had to get fifty percent of music faculty, and I think I got like fifty one percent or something. And um, so like people did not think I was very good. And, you know, my, my teacher was like, you're probably going to have to change your major if you fail your junior platform. And in between my sophomore and junior year, I uh, took voice lessons with a different teacher. I um, 
my teacher was over in Europe for the summer and I was working at my college. And so I took voice lessons with another teacher and it was like all the stuff that my teacher had taught me finally made sense. Um, and it like literally over the summer, I went from being one of the not like one of the not good people in the voice program to suddenly being like legitimately like if not the best like in the top two or three in the school and it was just like this massive leap that felt like it was overnight uh, and so i came back the next year and i got the ma- uh, the main part in the opera which uh, the opera bob jones is a really really big deal they fly in people from the metropolitan opera to come and sing and they do like you know 25 performances of this opera and um and so I ended up getting the main part in the opera, which, I mean, that was, blew everyone's mind because I was one of the people that wasn't good, and suddenly I was good. And then um, I won a big vocal competition that year, um, and then I won the school's vocal competition that year. So it was just this weird sort of, you know, I sucked, and then I didn't uh, suddenly. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's obviously classical singing, so it's a different, you know, it's a, it, you know it was you know, Luciana Pavarotti, not, you know, Bernie Jones or, or whoever. Um, and so, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of like this weird sort of, so I never, I mean, again, like it's weird to say, like I tell people, like, I still kind of think of myself more as a composer than I think of myself as a singer. Um, like even on American Idol, like I really felt like that I was the worst, you know, outside of like maybe Sanjaya. Um, I was, you know, the the worst singer in the competition. I just got by because I was fun and I had, you know, I don't know, I had something that was likable, you know. Um, and so even on American Idol, I kind of felt like, look, um, I'm not going to be the best singer, but I'm going to show you who I am as an artist. Um you know, and so I, Blake and I were some of the first ones that did Blake Lewis, who was on my season. Yeah, yeah. Blake and I were kind of some of the first people that did um, our own arrangements because we were trying to show, like, hey, this is the kind of artist that we that we want to be. And uh, yeah, and so I, I think that um, even in American Idol, I kind of lived out that ethos of feeling like I wasn't as good a singer as I was at other stuff. You know. Well, so uh, so. That's really interesting. That summer, then that you uh, you went with that other vocal coach, and all of a sudden it just clicked or whatever, and so things started happening. But then you you did. Uh, it says you got expelled from Bob Jones after breaking uh, school rules. So wh- I got to ask what yeah, happened. I, w- <laughs> I went to a Christian rock concert. Oh, it wasn't even rock. It was Christian. It was Christian pop. I went to a Christian pop concert, but that was not allowed. And so I was, I was actually not kicked out. I was asked not to return. Oh. Um, apparently there's a difference. <laughs> um, so yeah, I asked uh, to resign. I was yeah. asked not to return. I had seven credits left to graduate. I was supposed to go to Juilliard the next year and, uh, for my master's. And then of course, you know, I get kicked out. So that fell through. And then that was another one of those big sort of shifts. Like I went from my plan originally was to do, uh, opera or more likely Broadway. And I had done a lot of acting. I'd written a musical that had been performed at my college. Um, and so I, um, I had originally kind of really fallen in love with, this was back in the days of like Phantom of the Opera and Les Mis. And 
sort of classically inspired sort of Broadway. And so it was a different time in, in Broadway. And so I thought, you know, I'd go to Juilliard. The plan originally was I would go to Juilliard for two years and then really try to um, make it, um, you know, in chorus or, you know, maybe even as an, as an, as a Broadway actor and singer while I tried to write musicals and, you know, and create, um, like, uh, create my own thing. And then when I got kicked out of college, then that kind of, um, took that off the plate. And then I, that was about the time I was discovering a lot of like really great pop music. And so that's when I recorded my first album and began to tour. And so again, kind of another massive shift, um, in my, uh, sort of career that led me to where I am today. Right. And that, uh, the band that you uh, recorded that album with and toured with is called half past forever. Yes. Yeah. I did two solo records by myself and then I started a band called half past forever and we did three records together. Um, and the third record came out while I was on the show, while I was on American Idol. So I'd done five records the year before American Idol. We had played about 120 shows. Um, so we were, we were relatively busy and relatively um, successful before American Idol. Uh, in fact, when I went on the show for American Idol, my band had a record deal on the table. And so that kind of gave me freedom to... Like when I, when I was on the show, I didn't care. I wanted to make the top 10 because I knew you made a crap ton of money on the tour. And so I wanted to make the tour. Um, and then my, you know, like, like our band's album came out the, the week of top 12. And so I knew that we had released it. And I knew that the more, um, like the longer I was on the show, the more albums we would sell. And so I, my original plan was like, I'd love to make it to like the top five or the top six and then get voted off so that way 19 isn't going to want me i'm not going to sign the record deal my band can just go and sign with the company that had offered us the record deal before the american idol experience and uh and so then of course i got voted off to the top 10 but we ended up selling like forty thousand records with amazon and um and then that opened up doors for us to play but then as i came off what changed was you know, like the record label that had offered the band, the record basically was like, you know, we don't really need the band anymore. The name recognition is Chris Sly. And so it put me in this weird sort of predicament where, you know, um, this thing that I like literally every interview that you see with like, you know, it's just weird that there's a people magazine that has Chris Sly on it, but you know, like, um, in people magazine, I, I said more about my band than I did anything else, you know, because I was really, uh, like when I went on Ellen after the show, I gave Ellen one of my CDs and talked about our CD. Um, you know, because my plan was I'm going back with my band and then that just didn't end up working out because the labels didn't really want my band. And so that was a really tough, uh, situation to kind of be put in um and so you know i ended up uh going solo and uh that has led me to where i am today yeah well we're i can't believe we're already actually at idol now but i i did want to i did want to talk to you about it obviously um i the first question that i have that's related to it is and i i kind of already have my answer but are are you tired of talking about it it doesn't sound like you are because you've brought it up already but um i mean that's what people know you yeah i mean it 
at one point in my life, uh, I actually had a rule that if you asked me a question about American Idol, I would end the interview immediately um, because I, I really was tired of talking about it. And then I think I realized, you know, as uh, I've been in therapy for now almost six years and, um, you know, uh, part of my journey towards emotional health, uh, if you will, has been just this realization that, um, you know, like I don't get to control what other people find interesting. If, you know, if you find it interesting that I was on this TV show that was a phenomenon, you know, for 10 years, uh, on American television, I, I don't get to like tell you what you should care about in my life. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. um, and so for a long time, I just wanted it to be about my music and because I can't, like, I, I like to say, basically, um, when I went on American Idol, I did not really know what I was getting myself into. I had seen maybe three or four episodes of the show. And, um, I just thought, if I'm good enough, I see these people like Chris Daughtry played in the same circles as I did in North Carolina and South Carolina. And I didn't know Chris well, but I played shows with Chris and we had played some of the same festivals. And then I saw him kind of make this jump. And I was like, Hey, if we could do that, that would be great. You know? And, um, and so I went on the show with the intention of, and I've, I've come to realize that I'd never wanted to be famous, but I wanted my art the, you know, the songs that I wrote, the songs that I recorded, I wanted those to be famous, but the idea of me being famous kind of, I realized very quickly that I hated it. Um, and so I, um, I think I was frustrated for a really long time that people cared more about this TV show that I was on and my experience on that than they were about the thing, because basically what I became is a worse looking Kardashian. You know, (laughs) I was basically famous for being on television and really, you know, people didn't really know my music, didn't know anything about that. And, uh, and I think I resented that for a really long time. And now I'm at a place where I'm just like, ah, who cares? Like people find the stories fascinating. And, uh, you know, I typically don't talk about it in everyday life, but you know, when I'm on a show, presumably to talk someone about my experience, then, uh, I think it, it, uh, it behooves me to be able to talk about it without that resentment. And honestly, like it is fun. Like, man, I, I, I really had, um, uh, most of that experience was a really great experience as I look back and it really opened every door that I've walked through in the last 10, 11 years. And so ultimately, um, for a long time, if you had asked me if I would do it over again, I would say, heck no. <laughs> um, but now I think I've come with, to peace with it. And I'm just like, you know, it really was a fun experience. I got to meet people that I would never have gotten to meet. I've had experiences that I never would have had otherwise. And so for that, I'm, I'm immensely grateful for, uh, the fact that the universe brought me to this experience with American Idol. Well, what was the, uh, cause you said you didn't really know what you were getting yourself into. And you, I didn't, I didn't realize that you had been acquainted with Chris Daughtry, uh, either. Um, and, and your band had already been kind of getting attention. Do you think that the fact that your band was already getting some traction kind of made the producers because that cattle call uh, audition in the stadiums is really a lottery. I mean, it really is like, I mean, you can, you had a, a distinctive look and you're a good singer and you knew what you were doing with that. But I mean, even to, to get through that is really just that you have to have the right table and you have to have, you know, people that aren't just, just cycling through the, you know, the, the chaff, so to speak. 
Um, so I'm just wondering, like, sure. what, what was that like when you uh, when you got through the, the cattle call and, and you were and you started going into the actual pr- production of the TV show? Because I imagine they, I, I assume they they have to research you. You know, they had to have looked you up and said, "Hey, this guy here, he's got to look, and he's already getting some success with the industry, so he he could, you know, he might be ready for prime time." Yeah, I don't think it was that as much as um, it really is a luck of the draw, man. Like when I, when I went and tried out, um, I had already tried out, um, a couple of times before and had not made it. And, um, like the two years before that, I tried out in Orlando the year before I made it, I tried out in Chicago. And so I, I did not, I was not planning on trying out. And I had a friend who ran, um, a website where he talked to like church musicians. And this is like early days of um of like online video content and so he said hey i want to go and um film you know these bad singers and and get the experience of being an american idol but i can't go because i'm too old to audition do you want to audition and i'll pay for the trip down there and um and i'll get us a hotel and if nothing else we'll just have fun making fun of bad singers and because I'm a horrible person, that sounded really <laughs> fun to me. And so I, uh, you know, I literally like went to this, not expecting to make it because I had not made it two years in a row. It literally was just this own lark sort of experience to help my son get, uh, you know, video on his flip, you know, camera or whatever, um, for his little website. And, um, and so I get up there and, I audition and, uh, and the lady's like, number one, I sing an original song, which you're not supposed to do. Apparently I didn't know that. Um, I sing an original song and she was like, she pulls me off to the side and she goes, you're really good. Um, but I need you to sing something that's not original. Can you sing a song? And I literally was like, uh, I didn't know what to sing. And she was like throwing out songs. Do you know this song? Do you know this song? And then she got to Trouble by Ray LaMontagne. And I was like, yeah, I know that one. So I sang that. And she was like, all right, between now and the executive producer round, I need you to pick a song that is going to really showcase your voice and really show what you can do. And I was like, man, I just had no idea. So I went home and I made a playlist, um, you know, on uh, this is the early days of iTunes. But I made like a playlist on iTunes of all the songs that I might sing. And so I went into the executive producer round. I had three songs picked out and, uh, and then I just decided like literally at the last minute I was planning on singing, um, I don't want to be by Gavin DeGraw originally. And then literally at the last minute, I just decided to sing kiss from a rose by seal. And it ended up like I sang it for, um, for Nigel first and Nigel, put me through and then i sing it for ken and literally i got like five lines in and ken stopped me and i thought oh man i'm done and he goes anybody who can get those key changes gets through you're in and i'm like oh okay so then you know i'm through to the judges round and uh and so it ended up being just this crazy experience that um i honestly uh, like i know a lot of people like play like the fake humility sort of thing um Legitimately, I did not think I was going to make it at every round. Um, 
I thought this is where I'm going to get sent home until about like the first day of Hollywood was when I knew that I would probably be here until the top 10. Hmm. Um, And that was because they're going through like that whole thing where, you know, in Hollywood where everybody gets up and they go, hi, my name is I'm this, you know, I'm this many years old. I'm from here and I'm the next American idol because dot, dot, dot. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm like probably three fourths of the way through and I'm watching three fourths of the people in front of me and literally a hundred percent of them, a hundred percent of everyone who goes before me gets up there and goes something to the effect of my name is this, I'm this, I'm the next American idol because I've got the music inside of me and I just have to let it out, you know? So I get up and I go, hi, my name is Chris Sly. Um, I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. I'm 28 years old and I am the next American Idol because I've always wanted to make a beach movie. And you guys did such an incredible job with from Justin to Kelly (laughs) that I thought that, uh, this is my chance and I'm going to do it. And who doesn't want to see me in a bathing suit? And, uh, and so like literally Simon, like leaned back in his chair and just guffawed like, and like afterwards, you know, they're like, Oh, you made it through after I sang. And I go back and the producers pull me into like this interview room. And one of the producers was like, you know, you just made it through Hollywood. I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? And they're like, dude, if they cut you, it would be the biggest surprise that I've ever had in the history of the show. You, you are going through to Hollywood and America's going to love you. And so then for the first time, I'm like, Oh wow. Like, you know, this might actually, you know, work. Like I might not get sent home this, you know, this round. And, uh, and then the next round of course is group rounds. And we, you know, my group is, uh, you know, was filled with two guys who were like acapella legends in Blake Lewis, who's the best beatboxer, you know, on earth. And then, uh, Rudy Cardenas, who, um, literally his job was he was in an acapella group. Um, and so, then we had this other guy named Thomas who was an English guy. And so we, we did how deep is your love? And, you know, we did this thing that as soon as we put it together, like I knew that we were going to make it through, like all of us were. And then the last round, like as soon as I saw who else was in there, you know, they put you in the three rooms and two rooms go home and one room stays. As soon as I saw who else was in the room, like I knew I was going through, Mm -hmm. um, and so it was just one of those, like, um, it was really one of those things where in Hollywood was where I kind of started to get my wings underneath me as far as like with the show. Um, and so that, that was a lot of fun. And then the live shows, uh, that's where it got a little bit harder, like not because of the workload, but because it's just so freaking boring, man. Like, you know, they had all these fairness rules where they, you know, if one person has a voice lesson at, um, at seven o'clock in the morning, then literally everybody has to leave the apartment at seven o'clock in the morning. And if somebody's there till 11 o'clock at night, then literally everybody has to stay till 11 o'clock at night. So we would have these 18, even 20 hour days. And this is pre wireless internet. We didn't have wireless internet in there. This is pre smartphones. So the amount of boredom of just sitting around, especially for a guy like me who had literally worked three jobs and was in a band that toured 120 shows a year, like going in and just sitting around for, for 
seven weeks, man, it was murder for my soul. <laughs> um, and then not being with my wife, uh, my wife and I were, had been married for a couple of years at that point. And she, uh, the top 12 week, um, I literally almost quit the top 12 week because, um, she had come out and it was my first time seeing her since I'd left like six weeks before that. And she had come out. Um, oh no, I'd seen her. I'd seen her one time. She'd come out for like three days. Um, the week that I sing trouble, but I hadn't seen her in a couple of weeks and I hadn't spent any time with her. She comes out and, um, they keep telling me she's there for four days. And I literally got to see her for like 30 minutes in four days. And they kept telling me, no, you can go see your wife now. You can go see your wife now. And, um, so then we get all the way into the, you know, top 12 week. We sit, we do the show. My wife is there and I've done this arrangement of, um, endless love that I, I still think is really cool. Some people hate it. Some people love it. Most people hated it, but I loved it. The judges just took a giant dump all over it. And, um, and I literally walked off stage and was like, I'm done, man. Like I'm done. Like this show has lied to me. I haven't gotten to see my wife. Like I'm so sick of the politics and the running around and just the boredom. I'm done with this. I don't need this. I've got a record deal waiting for me and my band. Mm-hmm. Forget this, you know? And, uh, and Nigel and, um, <laughs> Nigel and this guy named Mike, who was like the kind of the handler for the contestants. Um, like they, they're like talking me off the ledge, you know? And like, if you watch, you know how all the contestants come out at the end of the show and they bow, you know, before the voting. Right. Um, like I literally didn't go out that week, you know, because they're like talking me off, like talking me out of quitting. And, uh, and so like Randy Jackson comes and like, you know, he's like, Hey man, I heard, Hey dog, I heard you're thinking about quitting, man. Don't quit. Like this is the chance of a lifetime, you know? So, um, I ended up deciding to stay. And then the next week, it was kind of at that point that I was kind of like all bets are off. Um, I just didn't care anymore to be perfectly honest. And, um, and so like the next week, the, um, vote for the worst was this website, which I think you're familiar with, but vote for the worst had, they were voting for Sanjay at the time. And supposedly at that point they had like, you know, they claimed to have 3 million votes or something like that. Like the, they were voting, you know, it was like the height of vote for the wars. They claimed to have like all these votes. And if you look at the voting, like, you know, every year, the, the, the difference between like, you know, first, you know, like fourth place and 10th place is like, a million votes. Like it's, if you have this extra 3 million votes voting for you, it is very possible for you that you're going to go farther. So I knew I couldn't sway vote for the worst from going from Sanjaya to me, but my hope was they would choose me as the worst after Sanjaya went home. Right. Mm. And so I, um, they had dared me to say, hi, Dave, to um, the founder of this website. And so I, um, I go out after I sing top 11 week, I go out and I say, hi, Dave. And I, I legitimately like, this just shows you how naive I was. I didn't know that message boards were a thing. Like, I didn't know that, like, I didn't know the power of the internet yet. Um, this was kind of my first lesson, the power of the internet. So like, I say, hi, Dave, I was the second to last person to go that week. 
in probably the 12 to 15 minutes between um, saying hi, Dave, and the show being over and we're back in the green room, literally every message board on the internet is filled with Chris just called out hi, you know, Dave from uh, Vote for the Worst. And I'm just like, oh, no. Like, what have I done? Like, I thought it was just like this inside joke. And now everyone knows that that's what this is. Like, like the American, like people magazine reported on it. I mean, it was like one of those things that like, I, it was stupid on my part that I didn't understand. I probably still would have done it to be honest. That's overconfident, unhealthy, emotionally, Chris probably still would have done it. Um, but I, I legitimately didn't know that it was going to be the phenomenon that that ended up being. And, uh, and so the next day, Nigel brought me in and, he, he literally cussed me out for like 20 minutes and, um, you know, I'm sitting there and, and then as he's cussing me out, I'm kind of going to my, you know, special place where I'm ignoring him. <laughs> and, and I remember like thinking to myself, like, dude, they wouldn't be cussing me out if I was going home, they would just send me home. Yeah. So that means I made the tour. So like, I literally walk out of this meeting, you know, <laughs> with Nigel and I call my wife and I'm like, Hey, so I've got good news. And she's like, what? I was like, I made it to the tour. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, Nigel just cussed me out for 20 minutes. So I definitely made it through tonight. Well, <laughs> you know? I, I, I got to ask though, and, like, uh, like what, what did he actually say though? Like, what was he specifically pissed about that, that, that why care that much about vote for the worst? Was he pissed that you gave them legitimacy or something or. Yeah. To him, vote for the worst had been this, he called it a, a, a fly flying around the uh the head of american idol just an annoyance Mm -hmm. but they had now gotten to one of his contestants and so now that gave it legitimacy that now he would have to uh lend it credibility that it didn't deserve Uh, that was kind of the the basic gist okay well and i gotta ask because you said you didn't know you, you weren't really familiar with message boards, but you you knew about the dare. So how did you how did you know that that Dave Delaterza, who's the site's founder, that he dared you to say hi to him? Uh, well, he didn't. I think it was actually somebody else. I found out later. But literally, Phil Stacy, who was on my season, he came to me. He said, "Hey, you know, vote for the worst has dared you to say um, hi, Dave." And I was like, "What? Well, who's Dave?" He's like, "It's the guy that founded the website." And I was like, "Huh?" And then he's like, "You know, like." he's the one that kind of sold me on this idea that like 3 million votes and he's like, but you can't do it. And I was like, well, wait, it's 3 million votes, man. Like, of course <laughs> I'm going to do it. And he's like, no, you can't do it. Like, and so when I came off stage, like top 11 week, I just said, hi, Dave, Phil is just like white and he's already white as can be. Like, he's like in shock. He's like, I cannot believe you just did that. And I was like, what, man, it's not a big deal. Who cares? It's vote for the worst. Like, who, who knows about that? <laughs> and then uh, everybody knew yeah. about it. <laughs> so it was Phil's fault then. Phil is the, the one who. No, <laughs> I made the choice. But yes, yes. Um. So, I mean, do you think if you hadn't have said hi, Dave, you would have made it past uh, it further into the competition then? I don't know. Maybe. Um. I mean, there's all kinds of like conspiracy theories that you can delve into. I mean, it is weird that I was in the top three of voting almost every week until the week I went home. 
Yeah, um, that's that's what that's why I asked because I mean you were super popular. I mean, like I followed Vote for the Worst. That was where I got my information for for Idol, and uh, and I we knew about you before the show the season even aired. You were one because they they would always vote for the worst with mine information, you know, leaks from Hollywood about who's popular. Right. And and your I remember your name coming up. It was I remember somebody there's like there's this guy named Chris Sly, he's got an afro and everybody's he's really funny and everybody's going to know who he is. Um so it, it was really shocking when when all of a sudden you were just gone, you know, and it for 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 it to happen right after something like that, you know, it just kind of it made me wonder a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it did seem suspicious. Like, you know, supposedly, like, Dial Idol does the thing where, um, Dial Idol does the thing where, you know, they, they, I don't know if you remember Dial Idol, but they could tell you who was in the top three. And right. what was really fascinating was, um, that I had friends who tried to vote for me that week and literally could not get through, which would mean that lots of people are calling because back then they didn't have enough phone lines. So Dialata would like supposedly test. Um, and so like I had friends that tried to call in and they couldn't get through and they tried for the whole, like, I think you can only vote for two hours or something after the show. And, um, and so like they were telling me like, man, you must be doing really well because I couldn't get through at all. And I was like, Oh, well, that's good. And then, you know, I get voted off and Dialata has me down at the bottom, which was weird. Um, so I don't know, man. Honestly, like the day that I got voted off was the, literally the morning after I got voted off was the happiest morning I've ever woken up to, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Like my wife was in town, like, you know, we, they put you in this different suite when you're like in a hotel suite, I can finally sleep with my wife. You know, like I wasn't allowed to sleep in the same room as my wife through the whole American Idol experience. Like the night after I got voted off, I finally could sleep with my wife. Uh, like we woke up and, you know, even though it was early, I was just so, I was exultant with joy because I was just like, man, like, like this whole experience, all the boredom is over now. Like now I actually get to do something, you know? Right. And, and, and you uh, made the tour too. So you, you'd achieved the goal that you initially set for yourself anyway. So you, you got what you needed out absolutely. of it. Yeah, I mean, looking back, like, I do wish that I had made it four or five other places. There's just a lot more money in, you know. Um, but then again, like, I've never really made any decision in my life based on money, or I try not to make any decisions based on money. And so, um, you know, I think ultimately, like, there was definitely a lot of joy in getting voted off and that I still made the tour. And then, there, honestly, there was just less pressure, like, you know, I only had to do three songs on tour, um, whereas some of the other guys had to do so many more. And so I, I literally, I, I had bought a, a little recording setup. So when we were on tour, I literally recorded the demos for my whole album on tour. And then I was able to make my album like um, where it came out. Like, I think it was only like three or four months after the Jordan's album had come out. Um, and mine was the... Uh, um, uh, I think Blake and Jordan's had come out by the time that mine had. So I had the third album out and it literally was because I was on tour, just making these demos, waiting for my contract with idol to run out so that I could sign my record deal and my publishing deal and get an album out. You know, mm -hmm. I have one last question related to the show. And then I want to move on. Um, did you get your 50 bucks yeah, from Phil? 
because you, you, uh, when you uh, when you Phil were getting voted off, you said as you were going around giving your hugs to everybody, you said you owe me fifty bucks to fill, and I'm just wondering if you got it. <laughs> well, we had made a bet that I told him that I thought I was going home, and he was like, "Man, there's just no way you're going home. You've been in the top three every week." And we knew that I was in the top three because they would tell us every week, here's your top three vote getters behind the scenes. So like we knew that literally every, I think there was one week that I hadn't been in the top three out of the first five or six or whatever. So he, uh, you know, after I did every little thing she does is magic. They eviscerated me. Um, and then with the high day thing, I just felt it. I felt it. And I was like, I think I'm going home. I know way, man. I bet you 50 bucks that you're not going home. And so then he had to pay me 50 bucks, but he didn't, he never paid me. However, I will say I've gotten far more uh, than 50 bucks worth of friendship from <laughs> Phil. He is still one of my best friends. So he, uh, he owed me 50 bucks, but he gave me so much more than that. He gave me love. <laughs> All right. Well, Hey man, um, I, I got it. I just want to check with you. We are at the top of the hour now. Um, can you keep going? Cause I do want to, I'd like to keep talking to you if you're, if you're able to. Yeah, man, love to. Okay, cool. Um, because you've done you. I, I had no idea that you were so prolific after the show. I mean, it's been. I mean, two thousand seven is almost twelve years ago now. Um, and uh, excuse me, you've uh, you've put out, you know, a ton of music. I mean, you had you had your 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 post idol album, which you just mentioned. Then you had uh, or, well, was that running back to you that you were talking about just just a minute ago, or was that the, the take a chance on something beautiful? Take a Chance was Half Past Forever. That was the one that came out during the show. Right. After the show, I did Running Back to You was my first record. And then my second major label record was The Anatomy of Broken. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that came out in 2010. And then um, I put out like an album that I gave away for free in 2011. And then I put out a triple album in 2012. Um, And then was involved with a church. I was working at a church and we made an album in 2015. Um, and then, uh, I released my first album in, uh, five years, um, back in, uh, early 2017. And then I released another album this year. So I think all in all, I've made 13 or 14 albums. Now I'm actually working on my best of like my greatest hits album right now where I'm, going through and re-recording kind of all my favorite songs plus you know all the songs that were radio hits and um and that's super fun like i'm a re-recording all these old songs even like the songs from before american idol i'm picking at least one song from every album that i've made and re-recording rearranging um kind of doing it in my style now which i would kind of describe as um modern pop and um and so that's that's been super fun. It's been super nostalgic to kind of go back and listen to all these old recordings of me singing like crap, and um, and now being able to sing a little better is nice. And uh, so that's been super fun. But yeah, man, I think uh, thirteen or fourteen albums at this point. Yeah, that's that might be more than than almost anyone that like any show graduate. I mean, that's that's a lot. That's a lot for any musician. So. Um, my first question is, regarding that is, what's your writing process like? Like, how do you how are you able to be so prolific? Um, well, I think uh, right after the show, I wrote a song that Rascal Flatts recorded called Here Comes Goodbye that ended up being a number one song. 
And so that kind of opened up the door, you know, like I keep going back to this idea that I feel like I'm more of a composer and a songwriter than I am a singer. And I think really um, that's kind of playing it's played itself out in my life. I've always just written a crap ton of songs. I mean, it's just always been my thing. So I think my process is, um, it's not as disciplined as it once was, but in the, uh, I remember, uh, in the early days of my career, uh, there was an artist who played, who I played with, uh, actually my first three shows, um, that I ever played were in Atlanta. And this artist was really, really great. And he basically said, you suck. You need to get better. Here's some ideas of how you can do that. And, um, and I did suck and I needed to get better. And so he basically said, get a subscription to songwriters magazine. And, um, there was a magazine at the time called songwriters. So get a, um, get a subscription to songwriters magazine. And, um, every month they put in like a song form. So force yourself to write that song form every time, at least one song and typically try to write four or five of those songs. And then you've got that tool in your tool belt. Right. And so, um, so I did that. And then he was like every day, write For at least two hours, doesn't matter how tired you are. doesn't matter how crappy you feel right for two hours. And so literally from 2001 until probably, I don't know, 2013 or 14, um, I literally wrote two hours a day, every single day for, you know, 12 or 13 years. Um, and it didn't matter how good I felt. It didn't matter how inspired I felt. I just, uh, disciplined myself to write. And sometimes I would get nothing, you know, I'd spend two hours and feel like I was banging my head against the wall. And sometimes I would write two songs in two hours. And so it really was that discipline that, uh, sort of, got me to this place where I had won national songwriting contest before I was on American Idol. And, um, and it literally was just discipline, just doing it again and again and again and again and progressively getting better at it. And, um, and so then right after American Idol, I wrote the song called here comes goodbye. And that suddenly opened up the doors for me to be, I mean, I wrote with so many big name songwriters who were so much more accomplished and better than me. And so I would just sit in those songwriting sessions, man, and just like watch how they worked and how their thought process was. And honestly, I think that's probably like the greatest experience of coming off of American Idol. The fact that I got to sit and be in the room with these guys who were actual songwriting geniuses and to be able to watch their process and learn from it and kind of take the pieces that were, that I thought were great and that I thought were interesting. And the way that they approached the lyric, the way they approached the melody, um, man, it just was, it just was incredible. So I would say that I'm probably prolific because of a mixture of discipline and just really good luck that I made it on American Idol. And, and then that opened up a door that I wrote this song that happened to be a big hit that then opened up doors for me to write with a bunch of people who inspired me, made me better. And, and then from there, I used the discipline to then write a bunch of songs for myself. So I think that probably explains the best. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you, I'm just wondering where to go with that from here. Cause I mean, like, I guess what, what is the best song that you feel like you've written? Like, what was the, the, the moment where you were like, wow, that, do you have any songs out of that you've produced in the past 12, you know, 12 years? I know that's a long time and a lot, lot to sift through, but 
you know, after learning about that process, was there a time where you were like, wow, that I, this song is just like, I can't believe I even wrote this. This is, this, this came out so perfectly. Um, <laughs> well, I don't, uh, I don't know that, that there's been a song yet that I look back on and I think, man, that was just, you know, a perfect song. I think there are definitely songs along the way that I feel like we're kind of road marks, uh, you know, road, what do you call it? Road, you know, benchmarks that, uh, that kind of, I look back on and I go, Oh yeah. Like, you know, like I still think one of the best songs that I ever wrote was like the, literally like the fourth or fifth song that I ever finished. And it was just me in my dorm room at Bob Jones university. And I wrote this song that ended up being on, you know, uh, my very first album. It was on my first album after American Idol. It's going to be on my greatest hits record. And then all the way to, um, you know, like there, there's, there's songs along the way that I feel like just say something that was really important for me to say uh, at those times in my life. Um, and so, yeah, I think probably there's a song called why that was on my album. This is life. It was on my triple album that came out in 2012. Um, that song kind of really encapsulates the struggle of kind of feeling like things aren't going the way that, I thought that they were, you know, I just left my record deal in 2011. Season my wife and I had our first kid and I, I had been on the road for 330 days a year before. And I just felt like my marriage was not going to survive. And I was not going to be the father that I was supposed to be if I stayed on the road and I stayed. And so I ended up taking a job at a church in Colorado and I literally left this record deal, the thing that I fought my entire adult life to get to, I walk away from, and I just felt like, man, where have I failed? Where have I messed up? And out of that season came this song called uh, Why. And um, and then there's certain songs that I wrote in the country market. Like, I'm not really a country songwriter. Like, I joke around and say that, like, I, I'm not really a, uh, a, I'm about as country as not country. Um, but down through the years, I think I wrote some songs in the country market that I feel like are really, really well-crafted songs. So um, I know that doesn't really answer your question very well, but I think that's probably um, the best way that I can answer it. Is that they're just, I think there's a group of songs, and I think the Best Of album that I'm working on is kind of going to encapsulate a little bit, is that we're kind of benchmarks along the way that I thought, oh, that's that's a song that means something. That's a song that I think is a great song that meant something in my life. And hopefully it'll mean something to the people that buy this album. Okay. Um, you've, uh, you've been doing a lot of uh, touring with, uh, to various churches and doing, uh, worship, uh, services. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Like, and how that, uh, part of your career got started? Yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up in church. My dad was a missionary. And so from the time that, I mean, even before American Idol, I was leading worship and, doing stuff in churches and for a long time i kind of ran you know i i thought my real calling so to speak was that i was going to be an artist and a songwriter and i think over the last few years i've kind of come to this realization that i really love mentoring people i really love um uh, helping people become better at what they do as far as like playing and and, and singing music uh and so uh, that's kind of become the focus of at least what I do on the road is I go out and 
I just, I lead worship. I help churches. Uh, I help their worship teams get better. And, uh, and it's been a really fulfilling, uh, part of my life. It's been really great. How'd you end up back in uh, Nashville? Um, I was working in a church in Chicago and, um, I had been working on, um, this album in my spare time that ended up being an album called mighty roar healing flood that came out in 20 early 2017. And I've been working on this album and I just came to a place where it felt like this album was kind of completing itself. It was ready. And I really felt like I wanted to give it a shot. And it was really the first time. And, you know, really since my daughter had been born where my marriage was healthy enough that I felt like it could sustain me starting to tour again. And, um, and I felt like that if I did it again, then I wanted to do it in a really different way, but I wanted the chance for people to hear these songs. So we talked about it for my wife and I talked about it for a long time and we ended up moving back to Nashville and, um, and that kind of led to kind of the season that we're in now, which is where we're touring. You know, I do some touring, but I'm only gone. Um, you know, I, I played 80 shows this year. Um, and I was probably gone like 90, 95 days tops. Um, typically I'm flying out, you know, the day of a show playing three shows and then heading back, you know, on Monday morning kind of thing. And so, um, I get the kids off the bus most days every week. I'm a, I'm a pretty settled 40 year old dude who, uh, who just happens to have a fro hawk. Um, <laughs> and I make music for a living. Like that's, uh, I, I get my kids off the bus almost every day of the year. And that is, I'm a family man who happens to play music sometimes. Yeah, well, it's uh, it, it balanced out. You got you got your career, and then you got your family, and you got your faux hawk too. So, when, well, I, my my last question <laughs> is, uh, when did you cut your hair? When did that happen? So, yeah, I was living in Austin, Texas, working at a church, and um, Austin is like the seventh level of hell during the summer, especially when you have a fur coat on your head at all times, which is basically what my fro was. And so I, um, I literally like it was getting, I'd, I'd spent one summer in Austin and it was April of the second going into the second summer. And I was like, you know, I'm just not going to do this again, man. And so I went and like, I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. My daughter, like when I came home, I think she was like, that would have been, she was five, almost five at the time. And she like started crying because she didn't know who I was, <laughs> you know, like yep. she had only known her daddy with a giant fro. So, uh, you know, I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. So I show up to work the next day, you know, with, with, with my hair cut off and, um, it was a pretty fun experience, but yeah, I just got sick of it. And honestly, like, I don't know that I could ever grow that fro back again, man. Cause, uh, it was so hot. I sweat like an inordinate amount less than I did uh, with my fro, which is really nice. Oh, good deal. Um, you mentioned you're working on a best of uh, album. Um, what else you got coming up in the immediate future here? And is there anything that you want to promote? Any where can people find you? You know, on the internet and things like that. Yeah, I mean, chrislide.org, um, but Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, all that stuff on there. Uh, just search Chris. Chris um, uh, really, I've done a lot of songwriting and production for other artists and that I've been producing. Uh, her name is Jenna Brown, and she's got a record that's coming out in January, that, uh, an EP, that is literally, in my opinion, the best thing I've ever worked on. Mm. And 
I'm really, really proud of this record. She's like a pop artist that, uh, her voice is just, uh, I mean, she's, she is a goddess. Like her voice is just unbelievable. So, uh, I'm really excited about that. So, um, if you look on SoundCloud for Jenna Kate Brown, um, she's got some music there that I wrote and produced and, um, means a lot to me. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks so much for, for coming on and talking to me, man. This has been great. It's, it's really great to, uh, to, to talk to you and get to know you a little bit. I'm glad you're doing well, man. I'm glad it all, I'm glad it all worked out for you. All right, man. Have a great night. Yeah, you too, dude. Uh, hang on the line. I'll give you a proper goodbye after we're off the air. But for everybody else, uh, uh, thanks for joining us. I will be back next Wednesday. My friend, uh, actress Vanessa Sawson is going to be joining us to be talking about theater acting. And uh, everybody have a great week. This has been American Weiner on podcastdetroit.com.